Well, if you've got a Bible with you, and I hope you do, hold it up with me right now and repeat this affirmation. This is God's Word. I believe it is true. It has the power to teach me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We're in a series on the book of Ephesians that we are calling Radical. We serve a radical God who has presented us with a radical gospel that when accepted will radically change our life. Now, I've learned something about the American people. I've learned something about the generation that we are living in right now, and that is this. We are a generation that values self-esteem. It seems like that, that we are doing everything within our power to boost our sense of self-worth, to boost our sense of self-esteem, to boost our value. From creating a everyone-wins mentality to excusing abnormal behavior and yet it seems that even though we have done all of this we are bombarded with these ads that that seem to affect our self-esteem we are bombarded with these shows and movies that that affect our self-esteem we are bombarded with with music that affects our self-esteem and we end up having an attitude that is filled with insecurity, an attitude that struggles with who we are with our identity. The truth of the matter is most of us don't walk around feeling good about ourselves. Most of us don't walk around feeling like we're great. In fact, I believe with all of my heart, if we could enter the minds of, of most people, even those who walk around with a, a facade of confidence, we would likely encounter endless waves of insecurity. A recent survey found that 60%, 60% of all women experience self-critical thoughts on a weekly basis. 60% of women experience self-critical thoughts on a weekly basis. And even though we certainly wouldn't want to admit it, I imagine the percentage is at least as high, if not higher, among men. Our security stems from, from how we look at ourselves, how we think of ourselves, and how we perceive other people look at us. And we do radical things to try to deal with our insecurities. We do things like starve ourselves. We, we work out relentlessly. We even have radical plastic surgery. We work endless hours and we go into debt to buy things that we can't afford so that somehow, some way, we can feel better about ourselves. We jump from relationship to relationship, hoping, just hoping that that the next relationship we find ourselves in will somehow make us feel better about ourselves. We have this idea that if we get to the top, if we get a certain job or we get a certain degree, we will be someone and, and then we will feel better about ourselves, but, but it doesn't work, at least not permanently. We do all of these things to, to make ourselves look 
better. We do all of these things to, to get into relationships. We work hard so that we can get the job that we want and, and we buy things. And for a moment, for a brief moment, we feel better about ourselves. But then, after a short while, the insecurities come back. And we find ourselves struggling with our identity all over again. Matthew West is a, a chart-topping singer and songwriter, and yet he has struggled with insecurities. He has struggled with identity issues. His identity, his security was wrapped up in what he did. He was a singer and a songwriter, but, but when something happened that threatened that, that could potentially take away his voice, he began to struggle with who he was, and he wrote a book. The book was entitled, Hello, My Name Is, and then the subtitle, Discovering Your True Identity. He has even written a song about that. You've probably heard it. I want you to listen to some of the words of the song. It goes like this, Hello, my name is Regret. I'm pretty sure we've met. Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget. Hello, my name is Defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll drag you right back down again till you've lost all belief. These are the voices. These are the lies. And I have believed them for the very last time. And then he goes into the chorus. Hello. My name is child of the one true king. I've been saved and I've been changed and I've been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning because I am convinced, barring something physiological, the reason we struggle with, with issues of insecurity, the reason we struggle with issues of identity is either because we have never come to know who we are in Christ or we've never completely understood who we are in Christ. Here's the key truth. I want you to get out of what we're going to look at this morning. I want you to read it there on your note sheet. Here's the key truth. When we understand who we are in Christ, all of our identity and insecurity issues will begin to take care of themselves. Now let me say that again, and I want you to listen. When we truly understand who we are in Christ, all of our identity, all of our insecurity issues will begin to take care of themselves. Now who are we? Who does the Bible say we are in Christ? Well, well listen to what, what Paul says in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And he gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace 
He has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saved you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Now these verses contain the longest sentence in the Bible. But it not only contains the longest sentence in the Bible, this is the longest sentence in ancient literature. It's as if Paul started writing and he couldn't stop. He got so caught up in praising God and his son Jesus that he just went on and on and on. It's as if he was having a spiritual fit, a spiritual spell. Paul begins by, by talking about the blessings of God, but notice, he's focusing not on material blessings. There are times that, that God gives us material blessings, but you need to understand that material blessings are temporal the blessings of financial success will, will one day be gone. The blessings of relational bliss will one day fade. And the blessings even of good health will come to an end. But the blessings that Paul was talking about right here, they will never end. They're eternal. And when properly understood, they will change everything. You, you see, when we understand these blessings that God gives us, they will help us make it through the, the difficult adolescent years. They will help us make it through those painful adult years. And when we properly understand these blessings of God, they will help us make it through every single loss that we will ever face. Paul says our Father has, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we're united with, with Christ, that, that phrase in the heavenly realms, it occurs five times in the book of Ephesians, but it doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible. The heavenly realm is, is the realm beyond the physical, it's the spiritual realm, it's the eternal realm. The heavenly realm is the place where God makes his dwelling. And the Bible says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the realm of God. And he makes these blessings available to everyone who is in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, 
It occurs 11 times in these verses. These blessings that that God gives us are not based upon how good we are. They're not based upon the things we accomplish. They're not based upon how often we go to church or, or, or how many times we've read our Bible through. These blessings are based simply on the fact that we are in Christ. And then for the next 11 verses, Paul begins to share with us what these blessings are. And it's as if a fire has penetrated his spirit and he breaks out into holy praise to God. And so what are the blessings that you and I have that are so amazing, that are so wonderful, when understood, they will change the way you look at yourself? Well, there's five. And i got to tell you, I just believe with all my heart, no matter how old you are or how young you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, if you understand these blessings and you've experienced these blessings, every identity issue, every insecurity issue will begin to fade away. Now notice the first blessing. Paul says, because we are in Christ, we are chosen. Uh, Look what it says in verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Don't think about that. Before God set the sun in place, before he hung the earth just the right distance from the sun, before God dug the trenches in the earth, and then filled those trenches with the oceans before God fashioned the mountains, before God caused the first flower to bloom, before God made the first animal, before time itself existed. God loved you. God chose you. Before you were an idea in anyone's mind other than God's, God loved you. God chose you. Now when I was growing up, it's a little bit different than it is today for many people. When I was growing up, I mean, we played outside 24-7 if we could, 365 days a year. I mean, we wanted to be outside. You know, now they want to be in front of the TV and do these things. Man, we wanted to be outside. Some of you parents, you're going kids don't need to be outside it's too hot it's always been hot in the summer it's always been cold in the winter and people have survived it's amazing we would play 24 7 we played baseball and basketball and football we played capture the flag and, and we were outside and I love playing these games but there was one thing I dreaded I dreaded the choosing of teams. Now, some of you have never dreaded that because you were the popular kid. You were the big kid. You were the best athlete. And so you were the one who got to choose. That was never me. (laughs) I wasn't the most popular kid. I wasn't the most athletic kid. I wasn't the strongest kid. I wasn't the biggest kid. I wasn't the smartest kid. I was just an average kid. 
And so whenever they were choosing teams, I mean, just fear would consume me. Let them pick me, let them pick me, let them pick me. And they would make their number one draft pick, and it was never me. But dear Jesus, just don't let me be last. Don't let me be last. I dreaded that choosing, the picking of teams. But I want you to notice what it says here. It says that God chose you. You were his number one draft pick. Before the world began, God loved you. God chose you. You say, well, what did I do to deserve God's love? You weren't here. You didn't do anything. There's nothing you could do, you could ever do to get God to love you. God just decided before he made anything that he was going to make human beings and he was going to make them unique and he was going to make them special and he was going to love them and they were going to be his people. God chose you. That absolutely blows my mind. God, creator of heaven and earth, the maker of all things chose me. And listen, he chose you. Now the tragedy is, there's some people that take this great truth, God chose you and he loves you. And we make it into a theological argument, a theological debate. Does God choose everybody? Can we refuse God if he chooses us? And, and we begin to think about all these who's and these why's instead of basking in the truth. Listen to me. There are things that your itty-bitty little mind is not going, are not going to comprehend here on planet Earth. Quit trying and just bask in the reality that God loves you. Before you were even a thought, God was thinking about you. Before you had the capacity to choose God, God chose you. Whoever you are in this room, look at me. God chose you. Adrian Rogers is, is one of my spiritual heroes. He's one of the greatest preachers of the last century and, and maybe in Christian history. He's now with Jesus, but Adrian Rogers once preached a message. He was preaching on this passage, and this is what Adrian Rogers said about this. He said, this does not mean that God chose one sinner above another sinner. But what it does mean is that God had you in his heart and in his mind before the foundation of the world. Don't get the idea that some people are predestined to go to hell and some people are predestined to go to heaven. Don't get that idea. If you get that idea, dear friend, and you think it through, it's going to give you some strange thoughts indeed. I believe in a sovereign God who has chosen us. But I also believe that there's not a man, not a woman, not a boy, not a girl on planet earth that God doesn't want to save. And I believe that anybody that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. No one is chosen to be lost. 
if men are lost, it is because they will not come to Christ. Let me make that plain. Jesus did not simply die for the elect. He died for the sins of the world. You say, that's confusing to me. Well, that's fine. It's confusing to me too. And it has been confusing to theologians down through the years. It's amazing to me how people have an idea that they're smarter than they are. And we have to somehow, way, figure all of these things out. Instead of trusting a sovereign God who created everything out of nothing. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God chooses us. But the Bible also teaches that we must choose God. John 6, it says, For no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. And at the last day, I will raise them up. God must draw us for us to be saved. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, drew me to himself. I am so thankful before the foundation of the world that God chose to save me. And yet at the same time, I am thankful. I am thankful that when God through the Holy Spirit drew me to himself, I responded and received that and chose him. In John chapter 5 verse 40, Jesus said, you refuse to come to me and have life. In Luke 13, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. You say, Rocky, how do you, how do you put those two together that God chooses us, but we must choose God? I don't worry about it. I don't worry about it. Someone said it this way. When we die and, and, and we go into heaven, there's going to be this banner. And on the front of the banner, as we walk in, the banner's going to say, whosoever will may come. And we walk through that banner, and we enter into the kingdom of God. And then as we look back and we see the backside of the banner, the banner says, chosen before the foundation of the world. The Bible teaches both of those. And it's not my responsibility to try to figure all of those things out. My responsibility is to let you know today, friend, that God has chosen you. And God wants to save you. And you will never be saved unless he has chosen you. But you must choose him. Now, I don't know about you. But all of those times when I wasn't chosen first, I wasn't chosen second, I wasn't chosen third, sometimes I was chosen last, and those things hit into my self-confidence and created insecurities in my life. And Then there was other things that happened that created those insecurities. I got to tell you, when I realized that God, the creator of heaven and earth, chose me for himself before I was ever born, that's a game changer for me. And I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know regardless of how I look, and I know regardless of how much brain power I have, and I know regardless of how 
athletically inclined I may be, God created me, and I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and he chose me to be his very own, and he chose you. So don't leave here today filled with insecurities and identity issues because you are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. And what did he choose you for? He chose you to be holy and blameless without fault. God chose you before the world began. But notice the second thing he tells us about who we are in Christ. He says because we are in Christ, we are adopted. Look at verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, some translations have the word predestined there, and and that word confuses a lot of people, but the word predestined simply means to determine or decide in advance. So what does it say here? God decided in advance that he wanted us to be a part of his family he wanted to adopt us into his family now now some of you have been adopted Uh, others of you here have adopted children here's what I know you can physically give birth to a child that you do not want would you agree with that blows my mind but people can do that people can physically give birth to a child and not want that child But when you adopt a child, you have chosen in advance that you want that child. And when you adopt a child, you have determined that you want them. And the Bible says that God has adopted us into his family. Now understand the Bible teaches that when we are in Christ, we are born into his family And we are adopted into his family. When the Bible speaks about being born into the family of God, it is speaking of our position in Christ. We are part of God's family. But when the Bible speaks about being adopted into God's family, it's talking about our privileges in Christ. Back in the day when Paul was writing this, the Roman Empire controlled everything. And in the Roman Empire, you could be married to more than one woman. And many people owned slaves back in that day. And so there were men who would be married to a free woman, and she would give birth to free children, and they would legally be the children of that father. But those men would also have slaves as wives, and they would give birth to children. And those children were their physical, biological children, but because they were the children of slaves, they had no rights. They were not heirs like the children that were born free. But if a Roman wanted to give that slave child the rights and the privileges of the freeborn child, he would take that child out to the gates of the city, they would have a legal ceremony, and he would adopt that child. And when he adopted that child, that child then had all the rights and all of the privileges of that freeborn child. Now listen, when you understand this, this is going to rock your world. 
What this passage is saying is, when we are in Christ, we are joint heirs with Christ. Everything that Christ has as the only begotten Son of God, God gives us as his sons and daughters. Now that should make you go, whoa. Because though there's never going to be this time when we are part of the triune nature of God, God somehow, some way created us so that we have a unique relationship with Him. We have a different relationship than the, than the angels, even though they are much more powerful than we are. We have a different relationship than every created animal. We were created to be sons and daughters of God. And He wants us to be a part of His very own family. Somewhere out there before time began, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were contemplating what they were going to do. And that's even a mystery to us, how a timeless, eternal God that knows everything past, present, and future contemplates anything. But they were obviously contemplating what they were going to do, and they determined, we want our family to expand. And we're going to create human beings in our image, in our likeness. And we are going to make them a part of our family. Now i got to tell you, I don't understand all the implications of that. But the implications I do understand blow my mind. Because my daddy, he owns it all. My daddy, he's stronger than your daddy. My daddy, he made everything out of nothing. He adopted me. He adopted you into his family. Next time you begin to feel insecure and you struggle with who you are, remember, God chose you before you were even created. He didn't choose you based upon what you've done. He chose you before you did anything. In spite of all of the junk that you were going to do, he chose you. He adopted you. And he made you a joint heir with Christ. But third, notice he redeemed you. Verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He purchased our freedom. You see, the Bible teaches that because of sin, we are slaves to that sin. But through Jesus, we've been set free. We haven't simply been set free from the penalty of sin. We have been set free from sin. He has purchased our freedom. We were slaves, but through Jesus, we have been set free. So listen to me, child of God. Take off those shackles. Remove those chains. You don't have to be in bondage to sin anymore. You can know the truth, and the truth can set you free. Jesus didn't die to keep you out of hell. Jesus died to set you 
free from sin. But he didn't just die to redeem you. He died to forgive you. You see, when he redeemed you, he forgave you, which means that he canceled your debt. Now look at it this way. Every time you've sinned, you've accrued a debt. And that debt keeps growing, and that debt keeps growing, and that debt keeps growing. And I think we can understand that. But what you need to understand is that you brought debt into life with you. Your parents were indebted. And they didn't leave you with an inheritance. They left you with a debt. A debt that has been growing since the beginning of mankind. And that debt was placed on you. The debt of sin. But when Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross, he not only redeemed you, set you free from the power of sin, he canceled the debt that your sin had you under. I don't know about you. I gotta tell you, that makes me want to do a happy dance. I can't dance, but if I could, I would try to do one up here. Maybe next week I'll get a dance meme. I don't know. So we are chosen in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. We are redeemed in Christ. Fourth, we are enlightened in Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Whoa. What does that say? Let me, let me read it again. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So what is this mystery? What is this mysterious plan? The mysterious plan is there is coming a day when everything in heaven and on earth will come under the authority of Christ. So that tells me that God's on his throne. That tells me that all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. That tells me that come hell or high water, whatever happens in this earth, all things are working together to accomplish God's good plan. And I may not understand it. And you may not understand it. But if this passage is correct, then... The mystery that we have been given the insight to understand. Our eyes and our mind have been enlightened to understand is all things are working toward God's ultimate aim. When one day, everything is going to come under his rule. The world doesn't understand that. If the world understood that, every knee would bow right now. And every tongue would confess right now, Jesus is Lord. The world doesn't understand this, but we do. We understand that no matter what happens, it's going to be all right. I mean, we fret over North Korea. We, we fret over the Middle East. We fret over the political problems in Washington. And we, we are fearful and we, we struggle with these things. And let me tell you, as Christians, we ought to be involved and we should be proactive in trying to change our culture. But, let, but you need to understand, God's on his throne. You don't need to worry. Everything's going to work out. We've been enlightened. But one final thing. He says in Christ we're chosen, we're adopted, we're 
we're redeemed, we're enlightened, but then he says we're secure. Look at verses 13 to 14. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Now what this passage is talking about, what these two verses are talking about is the Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of us who are believers. God did something different with the church. God did something different because of Christ. The Bible tells us that those of us who are in Christ, somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live and dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us is God's seal of ownership on us. Because the Holy Spirit is living in us, this is evidence of the fact that we belong to God. But the Holy Spirit living in us is not only the evidence that we belong to God, God's seal of ownership, it is the guarantee from God that he who began a good work is going to carry it through to completion. In other words, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we know that the Holy Spirit in us is just the down payment of what we are going to get from God. Right now, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly. Right now, we are spirit-filled beings in fleshly bodies. We, we've got a battle raging inside of us. The Spirit of God living in us, battling the sinful flesh that inhabits us because of our sin. And this battle rages daily. But because the Spirit of God is in us and we know He is in us, we know that one day that old fleshly nature will be destroyed completely and we will be given new, glorified, spiritual bodies. And the Spirit of God is simply the down payment of what God is going to do for us in the future. We're secure because His Spirit lives in us. Now listen. Here's what I know. Everything that I've said to you this morning may be rudimentary to you. Or it may be going over your head. Or it may have put you to sleep. But here's what I know. When you really do begin to understand that you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, before you could ever do anything, to warrant God's favor and God's love, God loved you, and he chose you. God chose you. He adopted you. He has made you a joint heir with Christ. You are part of the family with all the rights and all of the privileges, get this, that Jesus has in the family. You're redeemed. You no longer are a slave to sin. Jesus' blood has set you free, not only from the power of death, but from the power of sin. And he has canceled the debt that your sin has placed on your life. He has enlightened you. 
You can walk through life knowing that whatever happens, God's going to bring history to his end, his desired future. Nothing is going to take God by surprise. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we're secure. He has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to walk with us as a seal showing that we belong to Christ. That's why Paul said in Romans, if we do not have the Spirit, we do not belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the seal guaranteeing who we are. But the Holy Spirit not only guarantees who we are, the Holy Spirit guarantees our future. We've got something great to look forward to. So who are you? You're chosen, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're enlightened, you're secure. All because you are in Christ. And let me tell you, physical blessings are good. I mean, who doesn't like to have a little more money? Who doesn't want to be healthy? Who doesn't want to have a great marriage? Those things are wonderful. And we should want those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you, those things will never give you what you're looking for apart from these spiritual blessings. And when you have these spiritual blessings, you may not have any of the others, but you'll have everything you need. So where are you at? I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, here's what I know. Right here, right now, in this building, there are three camps of people, three groups of people. One, there are those who are already in Christ. You've already been saved. And either you know your identity in Christ and you are living out that identity in Christ or you're a child of the King and you've never properly understood who you are in Christ. And if that's where you're at, I pray today that Jesus will do a work in your life and you'll begin to understand who you are and all the insecurities and all of these identity issues that you've struggled with like many of us have struggled with will begin to disappear. So that's the one group, those of us who are in Christ. There's another group. There may be some of you here today who you're not in Christ. And you have no desire to be in Christ. I mean, you're here this morning and, I mean, all, all you're thinking about is, I wish you'd get through. I'm ready to go eat. There's a ball game coming on. Man, I'm not coming back. And maybe that's where you are. I hope not. But if you're there, you're in that camp. What I'm saying to you right now is probably going to fall on a deaf ear. You're not going to listen. But there is a third group. There's the third group of you who are not in Christ. Yet you want to be. And you want to know God's love. This unconditional love where he loved you before he created anything. You want to know what it's like to be a child of the king. You want to know what it's like to walk in freedom. You want to know what it's like to not worry about the future. You want to know what it's like to feel secure no matter what happens. And I'm here to tell you the only way that will happen is if you're in Christ. And you acknowledge your need to God. You confess your sin, your rebellion, you ask for his forgiveness, and you trust Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for your sins, humbly asking him to save you and transform you. 
that's where you're at right now, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. If that's where you're at, you're not in Christ, but you want to be, then pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you this morning asking you to forgive me. I've sinned. I know that. Lived in rebellion. I've lived life my way. No, no questioning that. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. God, I don't understand everything. But I believe you love me. I believe your son Jesus came to this earth. I believe he died on the cross to pay for all my sins. I believe he rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. And I believe that you can save me. And today I'm asking you, save me, change me, make me new. Lord, don't let me leave here the same. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer.